really pleased today to welcome Philippa King, aka Pip, to the podcast. Philippa is an ex-LCPR and was one of the people that helped welcome me when I first joined. So super pleased to be welcoming her to the podcast today. Pip is now at Aegeus as a Senior Actuarial Manager and she's here today to talk to us about transformation projects. I'm very keen to talk about this issue of transformation because if you think about the insurance industry at the moment, we've got huge changes happening in technology We've got huge changes happening in terms of emerging risks. It feels like every year we've got a worldwide gigantic emerging risk happening. And we've got changes in, I guess, what insurers are going to need to do in order to stay competitive and stay relevant. And so what I love, Pip, is that you've been involved in some very specific transformation projects within your own firm in recent years. And I think from our chats, I think there's lots of lessons there that can be learned by insurers more broadly as they look to transform and adapt. Before we fully get into the episode, though, I think we need to acknowledge that we are currently recording on the hottest day recorded so far. I am absolutely boiling. I don't know how either of you two are feeling today. <laughs> well, I've got to admit I've got a portable aircon and I feel a little bit like climate shame because I acknowledge it contributes to the issue. I'm feeling very envious right now of any kind of aircon. And actually, I've been chatting to a few people today who've been in the office and have been very happy that they went in because they've got some aircon. I was in the office yesterday for that reason. On a slightly, I guess, almost, I guess, why it to some degree matters that it's ridiculously hot in the UK is it has brought climate change back to the top of the agenda. I think it has been out of the news more broadly for a little while now. And I've definitely noticed it being discussed more and just on kind of insurance news feeds, just a few more things about climate change and people thinking ahead of validation as well over the summer, kind of reminding people that it is still a hot topic, even though obviously inflation in the Ukraine war has dominated a lot of the conversations recently. Welcome to Insurance Uncut, the podcast where we explore the big issues impacting the general insurance market. I'm Charles Cronier. And I'm Jessica Clark. And Insurance Uncut is brought to you by LCP. We'd love to hear from you, so please get in touch with your questions or feedback via LinkedIn or our website. Let's kick off with this week's episode. So Pip, one of the things that you've been very closely involved in in recent years is Aegeus' implementation of IFRS 17. And I suppose one thing that I've always noticed is that Aegeus definitely seemed to make a conscious decision to be on the front foot and to be implementing things early as opposed to waiting and seeing. But I'm interested to sort of get your sense of was that sort of early adopter approach worth it in the end? We started up the project team in 2018. I joined probably six months in. It kind of grew from one person originally as the complexity became more apparent. And we've very much taken the approach of, you can be at one extreme or the other, of kind of doing the thought leadership yourself and having to accept that later down the line as the market consensus moves, you might have to go back over things or change your approach versus some other firms that have left it quite late so that they can, all the thinking has almost been done for them and the market consensus reached. And then knowing that they may leave themselves tight for time if challenges come up that they're not expecting. So we were very much in the first camp and we've got to the point now where we're actually disbanding the project team, moving IFRS 17 into BAU. We've done our transitional balance sheet and had that audited and are doing parallel runs. The BAU teams are taking on doing the parallel runs throughout this year. 
I think there's going to be a lot of people very jealous to hear mm-hmm. that, especially those in that other camp to hear that, you know, kind of you're so far ahead. I guess going through the journey, what went really well? And I guess maybe two aspects here. One in terms of just a transformational project from a kind of an operational project perspective, what went really well there or was a real benefit? Maybe what was kind of a decision in terms of a more kind of detailed project in terms of actuarial that you think we dealt with that issue really well, maybe? So in terms of things went well, I think to start with, we had really good buy-in from senior management. People cared about IFRS 17 and doing it well, saw the importance of that. So it wasn't just a sort of grudge project that they had to do. They were willing to commit their time to it and pay attention to it and look to understand it. So as a project team, we knew we were supported and there's always setbacks in a transformation project. So knowing that you've got a supportive, understanding stakeholder is really key because it means that you're confident to take some risks and drive through to success. That was a benefit to the project. And then another crucial thing, I think we've had really good people on the project. So we've had experts in different fields, in finance systems, in accounting, technical accounting, and hopefully actuarial. We've kind of sparked off each other well as a team and kind of all enjoyed doing that problem solving and thought leadership, which has meant we were in a good position to be the kind of front runners in terms of implementation. We've had really good people. We've had a very technical accountant who's been instrumental in the project. And as the actuary, when I first started working on IFRS 17, it felt like everyone else was speaking a different language because they were all accountants. He and I have sparked off each other in terms of problem solving. And it's been really useful to have two people who really enjoy problem solving working at problems from different disciplines. What have been some of the things that have been tougher than expected? IFRS 17. (laughs) Like everything. (laughs) It is a complicated standard. It is principles-based rather than rules-based. But actually, that sounds better because it's not really prescriptive. But it's actually harder because Mm. you then have to decide and justify a lot of things. And then in reality, market consensus will mean that if you're an outlier you have to justify that harder. So I think things that have been harder than expected have just been where we've almost assumed something will be simpler than it was. Something where we maybe said materiality, but actually then proving materiality has been quite long-winded. And almost we've had to have done as much work proving that it was immaterial as we (laughs) would have done implementing it anyway. So there's been a few things like that that have come up, which have been probably where the stress points have been added because then they always take longer than you expected or planned for. Having gone through the process, knowing what you know now, what advice would you be giving to people who are still maybe in the thick of it a little bit? Well, I was thinking about this. I've got, I guess, two main pieces of advice. The absolute key one is to document the rationale for your decisions clearly and get sign off for them at the time because especially as our project has been going on for three years, we're coming up against things now as part of the audit where we made decisions, we presented them to the steering committee, which had all the important people on, and they approved it. They understood. We made it clear where we were taking a risk because the decisions could go another way, maybe trading off between simplicity of implementation versus technical accuracy to a certain degree in a measured way. And then three years on, they are questioned or we need to slightly revise our approach. And we have that rationale. We have the sign off. It's been clear that we've done good governance on the project. So at the time, it can feel like burdensome having to produce slide decks and present all of it. But actually, it's so worthwhile. So that's my key one. And then I think 
another one, don't try and train the BAU teams too early. I think we had it as training and communication was really, really important, and it is. But we started on that so early that we didn't really understand all of IFRS 17 yet. We were starting to train people in things that subsequently our policy has changed on it. And actually, a bit like we were talking about before, with climate change and transformation comes out of necessity, actually, the BAU teams will get to it and they will learn it when it's time for them to learn it. And actually, before then, it's really hard to get them engaged because it just feels like a distant, far off thing that they don't. Um, Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. They don't need to do. So those would be my kind of two key things. If I was doing it again, I'm not rushing to go and do another IFRS 17 <laughs> role. I'm very happy to move on. I do enjoy transformation. I enjoy improving things, but I think I've had my day on IFRS 17. That's amazing. I want to take that opportunity to move on to the second important transformation process that you've been closely involved with. And I know that a year ago or even earlier, the Aegeus team was talking about the actuarial team of the future mm-hmm. and what does a future new and improved actuarial team look like that better meets the needs of the business, is evolving with technology, et cetera, et cetera. And you've been through quite a lot of planning there and now you're starting to implement some real changes. So I'd love to just start off by, if you could just take us a bit on the journey, how was it that people started looking into the future of the actuarial team and then what was the process that you've all been through? I think we've, at AGS, been looking at the future of the whole business. I wouldn't say actuarial stands alone in isolation there. We're driving towards modernization, making better use of technology, data and analytics. We see the importance of that to remain competitive. And given actuarial is sort of the linchpin between several other departments, it seems natural that if we do better, we can help everyone else do better. I wouldn't say it was specifically actuarial. It's a business-wide transformation, but our part in it is key. We are looking to do less of the things that don't add value, but take time and energy because they are processes that are not efficient and upskill staff so that everybody can contribute and use their brain power rather than turn the handles. And that's kind of the broad brush aim and getting everybody more aware of what's going on in the business and able to tap into the business needs because often in the past it has been a bit of a funnel from the top and that isn't necessarily where the best ideas can be generated if people are communicating outside the department at all levels then things will come up that the senior people just won't even be aware of but actually that can add a lot of value so that's kind of the broad strategic aim of our modernization in terms of what we've actually done in actuarial so we are trying to resource projects more flexibly so that if there's a lot going on in one particular area of the business, we have the people with the skills necessary to start to work on those problems. Rather than being siloed, we previously had the commercial team, the household team, the motor team, the capital team, we had the technical pricing team sat within actuarial. And it sometimes, I think we'd all admit, we weren't very good at talking to each other, let alone the rest of the business. So now we've restructured the department. So we've still got a motor team and a capital team. But then other than that, we've got a central actuarial team who kind of consider themselves product agnostic. They can jump in and help with anything needed. We handle household and commercial business unit and various other regulatory things like the actuarial function report, plus the transformation of the actual modernization of processes. So it's a full whole scale change in the department, both in terms of 
actual processes and also staffing and skills. I guess one of the natural risks to you moving from having a group of people that specialise in one area to, to the approach that you're now taking is that you maybe lose a little bit of that specialist knowledge, that kind of consistency. It's the same person looks at the household book and you know, they know it really well. I'm assuming you've thought of this. And so I guess what are the kind of things you either putting in place? Do you not see that as a problem to make sure that that kind of specialist knowledge that can sometimes be really valuable isn't lost? One of the features of high performing teams, how they differentiated from sort of averagely performing teams. And one of the key things was that people answered strongly agree to the question at work, I'm able to do what I do best every day. So I would say you do need people who want to be specialists in a certain product or a certain technique or reserving or, and if that's what they do best, the best thing to do with them is to use them for that. So it's not that we're making everybody an all rounder. It's that we have the flexibility we have the skills that are transferable but actually also we fit people in the right place for them and that's part of why we've kept the motor and the capital team specifically they are some of the bigger areas that need that dedicated expertise motor is our biggest product line so the central team can bolster the numbers on motor when needed and we can do knowledge swaps and secondment exchanges but there is ring-fenced resource for motor, there is ring-fenced resource for capital. Mm. We know that recruitment and retention is really important at the moment. Certainly a lot of actuarial teams across the market tell us that that's something they're focusing very heavily on. I suppose one of the positives of what you're describing is the ability for team members to experience a greater variety and to have more opportunity to get involved all across the business rather than potentially just having their opportunities limited to one specific function. Definitely. And that comes up a lot. I, as you know, started my career in consultancy at LCP. And one of the things that attracted me was the idea of variety, the ability Mm. to work with lots of different people and get involved in different projects. So in terms of setting up the way we want to work as an actuarial department in-house, we are thinking about it as a consultancy model where it is a bit more fluid. And so we can have the kind of attractive side of consultancy in terms of the variety and client facing because we have internal clients, but then also not some of the more tough sides and the timesheets and all of the kind of (laughs) harder edge stuff of consultancy. What don't you miss timesheets, Pip? I do not miss timesheets. I'm yet to meet the consultant that loves a (laughs) timesheet. No, actually it's interesting because somebody in the industry who is very experienced in transformation, introduced timesheets internally in-house to kind of almost to measure that, how much time did you spend doing not value-add work before and after the transformation? And I've thought about it. Mm. Most of the people in our department haven't ever worked in consultancy, so they wouldn't know what hit them. I thought about it just for a trial period, but I'm just not sure I can bring myself. I can imagine. And actually, that was something I was going to ask is in the absence of actual time recording, what are some of the ways that you do look to measure the efficiency of how the team spend their time and how you allocate resources? Interestingly, that one can end up being a bit more subjective. I would say how happy the staff are, how much they're enjoying themselves, because everybody joins... (laughs) well, actuarial, but also insurance, I think, to be intellectually stretched and to enjoy what they're doing and solve problems. Nobody joins it to roll forward spreadsheets or do mindless processes. So if we are hitting the right areas of work, 
naturally people will be more engaged they will be more driven they'll also be able to spend more time on their training and development because they won't be stretched up against it so in that respect we have regular resourcing allocation discussions and so we have it all tracked as to who worked on what when and can see things changing but actually subjectively how happy are people that's the ultimate goal and actually, this is interesting because it's been reflected in the feedback we've had in our NED roundtables, where the welfare of staff and how much they're enjoying their work has gone right to the top of the agenda, even for NEDs, because it's now clear that that is crucial to business success. It's yeah. not about being soft and flaky at all. It's actually really just good for business. People can't put in their best effort and energy if they are stressed or if they feel unsupported you get the intellectual best out of people by them having a workplace they really enjoy so that's partly what the transformation is very focused on the staffing element alongside the process element you mentioned earlier about not just it being a transformation within actuarial but across the business and people being more joined up at lower levels so it's not just the kind of senior management how are you implementing that kind of practically at AGS, we value the technical skill set. That's another really top priority for senior management. So we have a program called Technical Heroes, where it's a comprehensive training program to go to all technical departments, where we're trying to get everybody to the same standard of background knowledge and having the same sort of competencies, regardless of whether you're in claims, underwriting, actuarial IT. And through that, we're doing knowledge swaps, where junior members of the department are kind of shadowing each other or sharing knowledge plus we're going to do some networking events kind of conferences around it additional things we've got some talent programs as well so people from all across the business will do a year of kind of project work together and present to senior management but through that they kind of work on a problem together a business relevant problem so again they have an opportunity to build up their network a really good idea because i think it can very much feel like you've got lots of different segments in business but quite often probably the work that someone more junior does and even then probably not actually that junior necessarily will get fed up to senior manager get passed across then passed yep. back down and so maybe you should just as you say join the dots and reach the conclusions quicker and yeah. actually i give a lot of thought to this i've been thinking about my own career as hopefully i progress and become more senior how will i make sure that doesn't happen how will i retain that knowledge I have from coming up from graduate level of the kind of barriers that senior management can put in place for further down the business and how to empower people to talk to each other and delegate responsibility and decision making to the level where the information is. It's almost like the skill set of a senior manager, whether in an insurer or any large business, is being redefined by the cultural changes that we're seeing sweeping across the business world. I think that there's no longer so much of onus on senior management to have all the solutions. It's finding the right people who will come up with the solutions for you. But if I'm honest, I don't know how different that is from how things used to be done. That's just the way I see it now. I remember very early in my career, somebody said something to me that being a good manager is mainly just about caring. And I thought that sounded like a bit of a soundbite at the time. But we're seeing that really being proved so true in practice in the sort of COVID and post-COVID era, the businesses that are doing well are the ones that are truly caring about their people. And the bar has been raised on employee welfare, on work-life balance, all of those things. You're just not going to be able to compete if you continue with an old-fashioned hard-driving culture, are you? Taking it back to the transformation, 
I know you're still probably going through this change and it's still kind of embedded and working itself through, but what have been the kind of main challenges you face so far? Do you anticipate any more big challenges in the future? Well, one of the things in transformation is it does take time and resource more than you ever expect. That can impact BAU. So knowing that maybe your output might be reduced as a department initially before they see these amazing changes. I think the business is really understanding of that because everyone's going through it, but we all hold ourselves to a high standard. So I think there's challenges around feeling like you haven't delivered on something which usually you would produce easily, but because you've been devoting your resource into doing something better. I also get the impression that sometimes transformation projects are resourced with some of the people that you kind of want out of your way. I'm not saying that we've done this at Aegeus, but it's an impression that I get generally. It's kind of no manager wants to give up their really good BAU people to a transformation project because then they will struggle to deliver their BAU. But actually, you need the really talented people working on the transformation. They need to have the vision for where the future lies. They need to be able to problem solve your way to it. So I don't think that's necessarily a challenge we're facing because I think, again, in a gist, we're quite mm. aware of that and we do commit good people to transformation. So for us, it's probably more the BAU delivery in the interim while we deliver. Yeah, I could see that how there could be a risk. And certainly that's well known within the industry that it's one thing to get a strategic change planned and thought up, but then to actually implement it is very, very hard. And a big yes. problem is that what about business as usual? So I know in sort of specialist markets and the London market, we've talked a lot with some of our recent podcast guests about how things are slowly being modernized in terms of technology and the way that business is underwritten and sold. And there's some big disruptive changes going to be happening there over the coming years. In the personal lines market, I feel like insurers have been pretty scientific and pretty tech savvy for a number of years. But as an industry insider, I'm sure you can still see the areas where the industry needs to evolve and where certain firms might be at risk of being left behind if they don't evolve. How does that look for you in the personal lines market? Well, yeah, I think it's the span of technology. I think, yes, there are some areas, especially around data, understanding the importance of it, that personalized insurers have an advantage on. But there are, from end to end customer journey, there are so many different areas where automation and advanced analytics can add value. We've got partnerships with companies like Tractable, which help assess damage in vehicles. We've got a new customer journey where the customer can make simple claims very rapidly online. There's every different stage, right through to our new advanced analytics team where various different business problems are being looked at using data science. There's something every different end-to-end point of the customer journey and the business journey where you can add value using technology and analytics. So there's probably, I guess, for insurers in general, I think they need to look at where they have the kind of the edge where they can make the biggest impact first because you can't do everything all at once we're known for our relationship with brokers. So making life easier for the brokers, as well as for the customers, again, we're known for excellent customer service. So those two areas are the areas where initially Aegeus can really put energy into and make even more of a difference. But yeah, eventually you turn to every area you can, and in particular data, the availability of data. Yeah, there's so much to it, yeah. I think something I... We did a transformation project internally at LTP a while ago. And I think the thing that really 
struck me from doing that was almost building in the ability to continue to change that you come up with a solution now that is maybe the cutting edge at the moment but because of the way technology and processes are kind of changing and evolving you need to kind of this is what we've got now but this is going to change and evolve and making sure that that's kind of built into the process and the people that are involved with it so it's a, an evolving mm. thing rather than right we're going to change this and this is this done now and this is static and going to last for 20 years Definitely. that's just not how things are going to work Definitely. And that's another people problem in my view. It's everything comes back to the people, having the people that don't just learn how we do it now and just repeatedly do that, but have that skill set to constantly challenge the status quo. Thank you so much, Pip, for being our guest this week. I think that's been a really interesting conversation. We like to end on a couple of lighthearted questions. So the first is, what would your dream job be outside of financial services? I think this question caused me more stress than the rest of the <laughs> I can't decide between being a novelist or working with dolphins. Maybe I could do both part-time. Absolutely. You could write novels about dolphins. About dolphins, yeah. Okay. yeah. I could give them characters. And no, I think I've got a murder mystery novel in me from my PhD days about a science lab. And yeah, just I really love dolphins. I think they're very beautiful calming creatures so yeah in another life maybe I would have studied them or worked with yeah. them somehow fantastic and then the second one is if you're inviting Charles and myself around for dinner what would you be cooking for us okay well firstly I love having people around to dinner so please, <laughs> please do come to dinner I would be delighted <laughs> love to entertain however I'm not the biggest cook so either takeaway Nando's fantastic which always goes down well with guests anyway. Or my signature is a risotto, a bacon and butternut squash risotto. I really mm -hmm. like how you can drink wine while you cook it because you have to put, yes. open a bottle to put it in the risotto. Yeah. And also then you're just like stirring and chatting and it's just a really nice vibe of socialising around the food. So if you've pushed me to cook, I'd make risotto. Bacon. Well, that sounds delicious. And I'm sure Charles and I will be taking you up on your <laughs> That's all we have time for this week on Insurance Uncut. Please join us in two weeks' time for another episode. This podcast is brought to you by LCP. We'd like to thank Nikki Freegard, Deepika Misra, Megan Frost and Matthew Passy for helping to produce this episode. podcast is for information purposes only and should not be taken as advice. All views expressed by podcast hosts and guests are purely their own opinions and do not represent those of LCP, its clients or affiliates. LCP makes no warranty, guarantee or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast.